I know that I'm not alone in my desire to understand the world around me. I am wired in such a way that I prefer to deal with things that can be objectively measured and accurately calculated. Here's a little confession about me. I am one of those weird individuals. You wonder, well, who does these things? I'm one of those weird individuals who is a part of an online simulated baseball league. So when I'm not studying theology or scripture or doing my pastoral duties, I'm studying baseball statistics. And I'm running algorithms to figure out what are the best players to select to make my team successful. And what I love about baseball statistics is if you study them well enough, you can organize a team that in this simulated environment will be successful. I am a numbers guy. As some of you know, my daughter is a competitive swimmer, and I have committed all of her swim times to memory. At any given race, I can tell you within, depending on how long the race is, what her time will be within a fraction of a second if it's a short race, or a couple of seconds if it's a long race. Measurements fascinate me. Dealing with probabilities is of great interest to me. And so I struggle a little bit in my dealings with Scripture. And their struggle has to do with the fact that it, with Scripture, I'm immediately presented with invisible realities. I'm immediately presented with realities that I can neither measure nor accurately trace. For instance, the very first thing that the scriptures tell us is that there is a God. There is a God who fills all of time and space and I cannot see Him. I cannot measure Him. I cannot contain Him. We cannot see this God, although in Jesus... We have the incarnation of the Son of God, for albeit a very brief time in human history. And so not surprisingly, it's God in the flesh, it's Jesus who expands our view of these invisible realities. So we're reading through our scriptures and there's so much we're struggling to understand because what we're reading about are things that we can neither see nor readily observe. But then the God-man, Jesus, walks on this earth and He expands our understanding of these invisible realities. Did you know that no one else in Scripture speaks more about the kingdom of heaven? No one in Scripture speaks more about hell. No one in Scripture speaks more about the devil than Jesus. We learn more about heaven hell and the devil from Jesus than any other biblical figure. We learn from Jesus that in this world there is a lot more going on than what we can see with our eyes or readily observe with our senses. There are angels among us. There are also demons among us. There is an invisible war going on out there, but even in here. 
It's hard for me to describe to you what I cannot see and what I cannot fully understand. But I will do my best this morning to reflect back to you what the scriptures teach about these two warring kingdoms. Now before we unpack this passage from Matthew 12, I'm going to suggest that the average Christian tends between two errors in their theology and practice as it relates to spiritual warfare. I don't know if this describes you, I don't know if one of these things describes you, but my observation is that the average Christian tends between one of two errors in their theology and practice as it relates to spiritual warfare. The one error that Christians make is that we imagine that the devil has little or no influence upon our life. There are Christians out there who imagine wrongly that the devil has little or no influence upon my life. The 19th century French poet Charles Baudelaire wrote, The devil's best trick is to persuade you that he does not exist. The devil's best trick is to persuade you that he does not exist. As Christians, we may not go so far as to deny the devil's existence, but I fear that there are some who doubt that this invisible enemy has any meaningful capacity to affect our everyday life. If that's you, if that's you this morning, saying, I don't worry about the devil, I don't think about the devil, I, he's just not even on my radar. If that's you... I encourage you to read the first two chapters of the book of Job. Read the first two chapters of the book of Job and you'll see that all of Job's suffering, all the terrible things that he went through, was initiated by the devil. We also have the apostle Peter's description in his letter where he exhorts us. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. What a frightening image. For Jesus, arguably his lead disciple, Peter, to say, pay attention. There's an invisible enemy, and the best way I can describe this enemy to you is he's like a ferocious lion. And he's looking for you to not be paying attention. He's looking for you to not see him as an enemy. And this enemy, this lion will devour you. Now some of us would rather not think about such things. I'd rather not think about such things, frankly. But if this threat is real, then it makes no sense to ignore it. I don't like to think about the devil. I don't like to think about the fact that there's an invisible war going on that I can't fully understand. But if the threat is real, we need to be alert. We need to be paying attention. And the first error that some Christians make is we imagine that the devil has no real influence upon our life. The second error is when we assign too much power and too much influence to the devil. I've come across Christians, that's all they're thinking about. 
is the devil and his influence on their life. They're seeing the devil around every corner. They're seeing the devil everywhere in their life. And some who err in this way imagine that the devil has the power to effectively counter God. Some imagine that the devil has the ability to thwart God's plans. But the scripture tells us this isn't the case. Even in Job's situation, Job had to come to God. And and God restrained Job from all that he wanted to do. Or restrained the devil from all that he wanted to do to Job. The devil is not in control. The devil is not an equally powerful force in this universe. The scripture before us today is one of many that affirms that the power of the devil is limited. The power of the devil is limited. And because the devil has limited power, the Christian church has great opportunity to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make a difference in this world. In other words, we cannot use the devil, we cannot use evil forces as an excuse for limited effectiveness. Because God has made a way for the church to be effective in a world filled with evil. Because the devil has limited power, we have unlimited opportunity. Because the kingdom of God... The power of God is a present reality in this world. The kingdom of God is a present reality, and this is key. It's a present reality in a way that it wasn't before Christ's earthly ministry. I want you to see that when Christ came to this earth, there was a change in the conditions. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, there was a change in the conditions Do you remember what the devil said to Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness? Do you remember Luke chapter 4 where the devil leads Jesus into the wilderness and there's a few different temptations? Do you remember this? The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of this world. And the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. For it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Now, most of us, when we read that, we're focused on Jesus' response and resistance to the devil. We're focused on how he counters the devil's temptations using Scripture. But it shouldn't be lost on us as we read that, how significant the devil's power is. How vast his authority and his influence upon this world. Evidently, there was a time in human history when the rulers and the governments of this world were under the influence and the authority of an invisible enemy. And if you pause on that thought, that's rather unsettling. It's rather unsettling to think that the rulers and authorities in this world are being controlled, are being influenced by an invisible enemy. But as unsettling as that is to hear, I'm delighted to report that the conditions have indeed changed following the earthly ministry of Jesus. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, this is what he said to his followers. 
He said, now is the time of judgment on this world. Now is the time of judgment and the prince of this world will be driven out. In other words, there was a time when the devil ruled on this earth, but that time is no longer. Part of what Jesus' earthly ministry accomplished is he put an end to the devil's reign. So we don't need to wait for the second coming of Jesus for the good guys to win. Jesus made a way for the gospel to penetrate the culture, for his righteousness to penetrate the culture today. Because the kingdom of God is a present reality. And again, this has profoundly positive implications for the Christian church. I'm not suggesting that the kingdom of God is in its final form or its perfect form. But the kingdom of God is present here on earth nonetheless. And what Jesus did to signal the onset of his ministry is he did a bunch of miracles. He healed the deaf, the blind, the lame, the lepers. He did all kinds of miracles to demonstrate that this is the onset of a new kingdom. And these miracles, because they were so incredible, they attracted, as you might imagine, the multitudes from far and wide who wanted to see these healings. But one particular miracle provoked a critical response from the religious leaders of Jesus' day. We pick up the passage in Matthew 12, verse 22. They brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that the man could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus replies in a way that exposes their skewed logic. Jesus says, Every kingdom divided itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. Therefore, how can his kingdom stand? But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. What a striking image that Jesus presents for us. It's easy to break down, although it's a striking image. Because the image or the metaphor is God is a thief. Jesus is a thief. But here's, here's the breakdown of the image. The house is representative of Satan's domain which is, of course, this world. Satan in this imagery is the strong man, and his property refers to those who do, no, who do not yet worship the Lord. So, in order for the kingdom of God to effectively advance in this domain, in this house, 
the influence of the strong man needs to be significantly curbed. Accordingly, Jesus explains that part of the reason he has come to this earth is he has come to tie up the strong man in order to take his property, in order to take those who are not worshiping God and call them to himself. Again, the imagery is Jesus rescuing those who are held hostage by the devil. He is rescuing those who are living under the enemy's influence. Now, I realize, and I can't read body language as well as I'd like, but I realize this is difficult stuff. And by the way, if you're visiting here today, this is probably the first sermon where we've dealt with spiritual warfare, maybe in years. And this might be my first time I've really dealt with it at this level. And so I realize that this is difficult stuff to digest. Not so much on a comprehension level, but rather it's sobering. It's sobering to think that right now, there's a war going on that we cannot see. A war initiated by the devil and his army. And God and his angels are standing by. The devil and his army is set against God, but he is set against all those who would name and follow Christ. So that would unsettle anyone, I think. It unsettles me to think that all of this is going on. But then I read Matthew chapter 12, and I'm massively, massively encouraged. Because what Jesus is saying to us is, I've tied him up. I've tied up the devil, and his influence isn't what it once was. Christ has bound the strong man, and now Christ is plundering the strong man's house. He's taking his stuff. The devil no longer has the authority that he once held. We know this from the resurrected Jesus. You'll remember the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples was he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, go on the basis of that authority and make disciples of all the nations. So friends, I want you to see Jesus not merely as the king of heaven, which he is, but Jesus is also Lord of this earth. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Christ. Do you see the opportunities that are created for the church in this context? Let me begin to frame those opportunities with a question. Where is Jesus now? Where is Jesus now? Now, if you know your creeds and your confessions, you'll say, well, pastor... Jesus is risen and he's ascended and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. You would say to my question, where is Jesus now? You would say, well, he's physically, physically no longer present with us. And if Jesus is no longer physically present with us, in what sense can we say that the kingdom of God is still present on earth? 
The answer is that the kingdom of God is still present on earth through you and through me. The Christian church in possession of Christ's spirit is Christ's visible presence on earth. We are in a very literal sense the physical body of Jesus Christ. So on the one hand, we can say Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God our Father. But we can also say that Christ is within us. And therefore Christ is in this world through us. Or we might say that the church is the means by which a spiritual Christ now functions in a physical environment. The church is the means by which a spiritual Christ now functions in a physical environment. So all this to say that the individual Christian and the Christian church are operating out of a position of great strength. As the Apostle John put it in his first letter, and this is a great one to memorize, greater is he that is within you than he that is within this world. And yet there remains for us a posture to take. So Paul exhorts us in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. few things I want to unpack there really quickly. We often think that we have problems with our earthly circumstances, or our earthly contexts, or with earthly people, people that we can't get on well with, people that we're fighting with, people we're estranged from. Paul says, no, 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 your battle's not against flesh and blood. Your battle isn't against people. Your battle is not against worldly circumstances. Your battle is a spiritual battle. And you need to take a spiritual posture against the devil's schemes. Well, what's the devil's schemes, you ask? Well, the devil can't own you if you're in Christ. If you are a Christian, if the Spirit of Christ is within you, the devil cannot own you. But his scheme is this. If he can't own you, he wants you to be an ineffective member of the body of Christ. He wants you to be an ineffective member of his church. So the devil wants you to be lukewarm in your commitment to Christ. He doesn't matter if you have a nominal interest in religious things. He's quite pleased to have you believe in God so long as you don't do anything serious about that belief. The devil wants you to be unmotivated to engage in service of the kingdom of God in this world. He doesn't mind if you come out and worship Sunday by Sunday so long as you don't make a difference with his property, with his people out there. The devil wants your worship of God to lack any kind of passion. He doesn't want you to be zealous. He doesn't want your affections to be stirred in worship. He wants this experience today to be ordinary. He wants you to leave here feeling flat about your relationship with Christ. 
The devil wants you to be devoid of any passion. More simply, the devil wants you to sin. The devil wants you to do things that displeases God. The devil wants you to represent Christ poorly. He wants you to be a hypocrite. He wants your life to contradict your message. The devil wants you to be the kind of person that brings reproach upon the Christian faith. These are the devil's schemes. Dear friends, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Greater is He that is within you than he that is within this world. This is really good news from Matthew 12. Jesus says the strong man's tied up. He's tied up. So let's take his stuff. Let's take back the people who are under his influence. Let's take his stuff. Let's go out into this world by the authority of Jesus Christ, which is all the authority we need in heaven and on earth. Let's go in the authority of Christ. Let's go by the power of Christ. And let's go make disciples in the name of Christ. And we can do that. Because this world is the domain of Jesus Christ. This domain belongs to Him. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Jesus Christ is in control of this world. Let's go in his power. Let's go in his name. And let's take the devil's stuff. Amen.